Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for October 30th, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be talking about a bunch of news, including the end of House of Cards and the allegations against actor Kevin Spacey, a Black Widow comedy film. Will Star Wars Last Jedi reveal Ray's parents, a Quantum Leap movie in a Blair Witch TV series? All that and at the water cooler, we'll be discussing uh, Disneyland and Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, Monsters After Dark, and the World Series. Uh, this is Peter Serrata, and joining me today are Slash Film Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's up? And Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Okay, guys, join me at the water cooler. What have you been up to this week? And I know probably a lot of us have been watching Stranger Things. Um, I have not yet finished... Stranger Things 2, um, I'm f- five episodes in, and uh, I'm enjoying it, but tomorrow we're going to do a spoiler-filled Stranger Things 2 discussion, so if you are like us and are binge-watching your way through that new Netflix TV series, um, then join us tomorrow as we, we discuss our thoughts and our reactions to the whole series on this podcast. Uh But let me tell you about a a little bit about what I did over the weekend. I went to Disneyland and finally got to experience um, Disney California Adventure for kind of the first time ever has uh, had their Halloween time. Uh, Disneyland uh, famously, you know, decorates their whole uh, theme park every October and, you know, Haunted Mansion becomes Haunted Mansion Holiday and and Space Mountain becomes Ghost Galaxy. Uh, But for the first time ever, uh, Disney California Adventure has kind of been all Halloweened out. Uh, Cars Land has been transformed into a Halloween version, like H-A-U-L-O-Ween version of Cars Land and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. Uh, This is probably the most interesting part of it is uh, they've already made a sequel to the Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, and it happens every night during Halloween time after 6 p.m. If you go on the ride, it's basically, uh, to give you the basic gist, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, it takes place in the Collector's Museum. Uh, the Collector has acquired uh, one of his greatest uh 
things, and that is the Guardians of the Galaxy. And basically, Rocket recruits you to go and rescue them from the museum by using this falling gantry way, which used to be Tower of Terror. Um, so that happens during the day, and at night, basically, uh, what what? Or actually, what happens at the end of the ride is you 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 allow the Guardians of the Galaxy to escape, and also all the uh, monsters and creatures and co- things in the collector's collection to escape. Uh, so at night, this new version of the Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout is called Monsters After Dark. You go in and uh, the collection, you know, the monsters are, you know, all over the place and it's kind of darker. You, you know, you enter in and it has like this darker lighting and it's totally almost feels like a different ride. Uh, and basically you are recruited by Rocket this time to go in and help uh, serve as a distraction so that the monsters don't eat Groot uh, and help Groot escape. And um, I very much enjoyed this version of the ride. It was, um, it felt like, uh, I'm not sure if you know how this ride works, but it's kind of this free fall ride. And then there's these show scenes that are shown on the screen in between. And uh, in, in the regular version, the show scenes, I think, don't really fit together as well as they do here because they they have so many different storylines that could happen normally and in this version the nighttime version you have this one storyline that is very cohesive and it's uh it's a lot of fun it's very enjoyable um and yeah that was my weekend jacob what have you been up to Oh, Real wait. quick, though, uh, overall, Monsters After Dark is better than the daytime Mission Breakout experience, you'd say? You know, I, I wouldn't want to have that as the only experience, but um, I'm going to be sad that th- that this is only going to be a Halloween time thing. Yeah, I, I actually think it's a better experience overall, um, although it's, some things are missing, like Cosmo, uh, spoilers, but Cosmo, the space dog does get rescued by Guardians of the Galaxy in the irregular attraction. So in the queue, he's kind of missing from the queue. So there's some some cool things missing that you wish were there because of uh, this being a sequel. They can't be there. Um, but I kind of wish they kept this as a all year long at nighttime, you know, this attraction turns into Monsters After Dark. Yeah, I don't want to drag this out any longer, but real quick, do you think they'll keep updating it for every major holiday like do you think they'll do something for christmas too <laughs> i wonder how many storylines they could come up with though like how, how many sequels to this can can you invent although <laughs> I, I don't know i kind of love that they're doing that though that they're giving you a, a reason to go back and experience this attraction although it's kind of um i've always wondered like you know people that go to disneyland on holiday and they, you know, they've never experienced Haunted Mansion because they always get Haunted Mansion Holiday, which is the Nightmare Before Christmas version of Haunted Mansion. So it, it kind of worries me that, like, you know, people, you know, if they do this for every holiday and people are coming, you know, on vacations during the holidays, that they might never actually get to experience the actual real ride itself. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting. It, well, isn't, you that, ever... isn't, that always, isn't that always the case, Peter, where um but Disneyland tends to have the same passionate local following who come several times a year, which is why they can get away with this. Whereas Disney World doesn't have nearly as many complete changeovers because the impression seems to be that people come to Disneyland, come a couple times a year, they see the same thing, they're happy for changes. Where people go to Disney World are the people who are like, this is my one, one vacation in 10 years, it has to be what I want 
as opposed to a regular thing. That's what I've always heard. I'm wondering if you had a perspective on that. I've always heard that, and I, I do know notice when I'm at the park, there's a lot more annual pass holders here than it seems like there is in Florida, but it's all anecdotal evidence, and I don't think Disney has ever really commented on it either way, so I don't I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, J- Jacob, what have you been up to this weekend? Well, I'll be up front. I'm not a huge sports fan, uh, but I'm in te- I am in Texas, and the Houston Astros in the World Series which means I've been watching the World Series and a lot of baseball the past few days. It's not that I dislike sports. I actually quite enjoy watching sports, but um, I'm like a Catholic who only goes to church on Christmas and Easter. I only watch the World Series. I only watch the Super Bowl. I only, only watch the finals. I only want to be there for the big events. I don't want to do the work the rest of the year. Uh, and this has been a really exciting World Series. I mean, for those of you who have been following it, it's the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Houston Astros. The Dodgers have not won a World Series in nearly 30 years. Uh, Astros have gone to the World Series once, and they were shut out. And this series has been neck and neck, because both teams clearly want this. They really want it. And last night, the Astros ended up taking the lead 3-2 to two in the overall series out of seven games. Both in neck and neck all night, like people taking dramatic leads, followed by dramatic... Uh, uh, Three home runs score, three runs scored at once via dramatic home runs. You'll, you'll see. I don't know much about sports, so I'm gonna start saying a lot of wrong words, and I'm sure a lot of sports <laughs> fans are gonna be like wincing throughout all of this. But I really like baseball is a game that I, I often find boring. I, I think it's fun in person when it's an experience. But if all of baseball is like the World Series, I probably watch baseball more often. It's a really exciting, tense game. It, it, I've always enjoyed sports as a cinematic thing, in that. I don't like the game of numbers. I like the game of these of personalities clashing, of hopes and dreams being dashed, of a story being written in real time, triumph and failure and shame and joy. And you don't get a more cinematic World Series than what's been going on these past few games. It's just been up and down and crazy. And both teams are excellent. And both teams are playing at their height. And anybody can win at any, at any point. And... I watched it in a uh, the first half of the game at a local bar last night, and the entire bar was into it, clapping and cheering, and it was a really great communal experience. And we went home and watched the second half at home, where it went into a tenth inning, and we it was I wasn't in bed till one a.m. because of how, how late it went, but it was I don't know. I, as somebody who's only a moderate sports fan, it's been genuinely like magical to watch. I can only imagine what it's like for actual baseball fans, people who are actually sports fans who actually follow this. I'm excited to see them excited because because if i'm enjoying it this much i can only imagine what a real baseball fan is feeling right now <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm the furthest thing away from a sports fan i'm a sports hater so uh i'm not sure i can relate to this experience <laughs> but, um ben you haven't been watching the world series no i have not really uh i have been watching stranger things but we'll talk about that tomorrow yeah, it, it's strange here actually uh, because I, you know, I'm in Los Angeles, and the Dodgers are in this World Series. And LA, I feel like, is not usually a sports town, but I feel like all these, all, all of a sudden, all of LA are are Dodgers fans. It seems like to me, people I did not <laughs> know were Dodger fans or Dodger fans. Uh, I'm not saying they weren't, but it seems to me that way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, L.A. is a very performative town in general, so there's probably a lot of that going on. Yeah, uh, Let's get to the news. Uh, first up in the news, House of Cards is going to end with season six amidst allegations against Kevin Spacey. Jacob, 
This is a two-part story. What do we know? Okay, yeah, this is a tough one. I'm going to try to proceed with caution because this is sensitive material, and I don't want to. I want to treat it as carefully as I can. But we'll start with the easy part, which is House of Cards, Netflix's flagship show, is going to be ending with the sixth season. Uh, they claim this was always the plan that season six would be the last one, and this is big news because this was Netflix's first original series. It was kind of sent, set the um, set the standard for what we expected from a Netflix show: glossy, slick. Really well made, big stars, moves way too slow, too long, not as good as it could be. But all, all the things you expect from a Netflix show these days, um, it was all it was all built here. And I stopped watching season three. Uh, speaking of somebody who loved season two, uh, season three killed me. I, I, I had to stop. But it feels like a, an end of an era thing, kind of when Mad Men ended on AMC or when Battlestar Galactica ended on Sci-Fi Channel over a decade ago, a moment where the show that made a network, or in this case, a streaming service's name, or revitalized them and brought them to a new height has ended. So just on a pure TV level, this is a big deal uh, for people who just track television history. Here's the first truly major streaming TV show coming to an end. And that's yeah. something that's going to be an interesting thing to talk about going forward. But, but the timing I, I, is... Wait, wait before you get to the timing... Yeah. I don't think yeah. too many people are going to be upset over House of Cards coming to an end. I feel like... I don't think so. It's time. Yeah, it's time. The last couple seasons have, you know, gotten progressively more kind of ridiculous. And and we're kind of living in a time, even though they got so super ridiculous, we're living in a, in a political time, not to get political, where you kind of want to escape the politicalness. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you have a guy here that's just as worse as the guy in reality. Or almost as worse. Who knows? Uh, I don't know. Uh, ben, have you been watching House of Cards? Do you have any feelings no, on this? No, I gave up on the third season. Um, I just I felt like I couldn't. You know, I loved um, Robin Wright's performance, but I just the show started to stretch. You know, um, into territory that I I felt was uh, yeah getting a little bit too ridiculous even back then, and so I just sort of checked out and then. Uh, I mean, all this in our real world has happened and sort of complicated matters even further. But um, but yeah, I, I I'm, you know, from the outside looking in, uh, it does seem like that's about as long as the show should run um, before it were, you know, to get too stale anyway. But uh, as Jacob mentioned, the timing on this is, you know, uh, I guess, unfortunate or fortunate, depending on how you look at it. I'm not really sure. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll just dive right in. Um, the I have no doubt in my mind that Netflix intended for the show to end of season six, but the timing of the announcement happens very soon after Kevin Spacey has been accused of sexual misconduct by actor Anthony Rapp. Anthony Rapp, you've seen him around in a lot of places. Right now, he is starring on Star Trek Discovery as Stamets, and he told BuzzFeed that... Back in 1986, when he was on Broadway, uh, he was invited to a Broadway after party with a bunch of different actors, where Kevin Spacey, who was then 26 years old, took him to his bedroom and tried and sexually propositioned him. And, and he's coming out about this right now, Anthony Rapp is, because of all the allegations of sexual harassment and misconduct and, and assault that have been circulating around Hollywood the past few weeks. He feels compelled to um, come out with his experience, and that, I think, is the, a good thing. It, I applaud him for being brave enough to do that, especially against an actor who is acclaimed and famous and has lots of power and holds lots of Oscars. Uh, but the issue here is that 
Kevin Spacey's apology is the worst kind of apology. And a lot of people have said more eloquent than me, but his apology is also his coming out. He, see, he says in a letter, letter posted to social media that uh, he is gay, um, he's a gay man, and that um, he describes his behavior as deeply inappropriate drunken behavior. And he is sorry for all the feelings he described having carried with him all these years. And what I hate about this letter, what I, and what I think a lot of people who are LGBTQ hate about this letter, is that he's trying to come out and rally the support of this community, of which he's been closeted and hidden from for years, um, and while at the same time saying, yeah, um, I'm, I'm gay. It's not my fault. I tried to, do, I tried to assault a child. Um, come support me because I'm gay. Well, he's actually not even <laughs> taking responsibility for that. He says he doesn't remember no. it. Yeah, that, that, that's more accurate. And I was looking at this, and it just makes me angry because so many gay men have fought for decades and centuries against the stigma of all gay men like to have sex with children. That's been that's been the excuse to to kill gay men, to assault gay men, to fire gay men. And here's Kevin Spacey trying to deflect this allegation by saying, "Hey, I'm gay," and that's so deeply offensive and horrible. And I, I, maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but I feel like Kevin Spacey's sexuality is the one the, the worst kept secrets in Hollywood. Um, I think I feel like he's been like I think he's he hasn't even been closeted as much as he just hasn't talked about it. So to try to engage in the community he's never been a part of for all these years to defend him in a time where he's done something deeply inappropriate is a slap in the face to every single person out there uh, who belongs to the community. It is shameful. And I and here's the thing: I'm not prepared to call Ken Spacey a pedophile. I'm not prepared to say he's screwing a bunch of children. Uh, I'm not. There's no there's no evidence of that right now. But there is evidence of him writing a really, really, really crummy, wrong-headed apology. Well, well um, tell me in, this. In a, really, in a really bad situation. Let's let's play devil's advocate. Let's play that, like you know, that this didn't happen or whatnot. Just just like in that world. In what world do you invite a fourteen-year-old actor to a party where there's you know alcohol and I don't know? It seems a little weird. It, it is weird, and it, and it lines up with. You always hear these stories from child actors about Hollywood parties where men, powerful men, take advantage of children. And it's one of those things we'd like to stick our fingers in our ear and like try not to listen because the implications of people who are creating the movies and shows that we like are doing horrible things. And like I said, I'm not prepared to say Kevin Spacey's an out and out pedophile who's been molesting children left and right, but I am saying that it's time for us to start listening. And when Anthony Rapp has the courage to come out and against somebody who could probably end his career if he wanted to, at least he could have before, maybe a couple months ago before people started really, really fighting back against this kind of stuff. And it's, it's our job to listen. It's our job to uh, believe the victim because uh, I'm, I'm tired of hearing hushed stories of horrible things. I feel it's time to drag them, drag them out. And Kevin Feige is a brilliant actor. I love watching him in things. He, um, He's really good in House of Cards where he's handing it up, but it's I'm not going to let my enjoyment of somebody's acting and performances blind me to the fact that something really, really bad has happened. Yeah, I think that's the best way to approach that, and that's like the key point is that it's time to start listening to these people. I've seen responses on social media to um, you know, all of this stuff that's come out over the past 24 hours and people being like, oh, who's this nobody actor? You know, He's just trying to take down somebody who's successful or whatever. And like that kind of bullshit has to stop. Like this is, this is ridiculous. Like it's all, you know, we, as we've learned over the past, whatever year, I guess of 
you know, Cosby from Cosby to now. And, and, you know, we, these are lessons we should have learned a long time ago as a society. I'm glad that people are paying attention now, but yeah, that's the key thing. It's like, it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if the person was only in one thing or, you know, had never been in anything. It doesn't, you know, the, the, uh, Anthony Rapp's career is not the, um, you know, it's not the main focal point of this conversation. So, uh, yes, as Jacob said, just listen to people. Yeah. And it, it would be good to see, um, I'm trying to figure out how to word this, but we see it with Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein has been a like a very, uh, powerful person within Hollywood. But, uh, you know, what has happened recently has kind of come at the end of his career, I think. Uh, you know, his power has diminished. You know, he, Weinstein Company is not what it was, not what Merrimax was. And it's, uh, it's, I think it's easier to see these things happen to people that are not in these places of power. Like a person like Kevin Spacey still is in a place of that extreme power. Um, and, uh, I would like to see more people actually come out, uh, be encouraged to come out in those circumstances and not just the circumstances where it's like easier. Does that make sense? Not yeah. to diminish, to, to not, speak not to out. Dimin- yeah, yeah. To speak out, not, not to diminish anybody who has spoken out, but, um, I feel like we, this industry is harboring a lot of people that are still in high power. And I think. I think uh, there's still a worry. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 For sure. Uh, I do want, before we change subjects, I think we're about to, I do want to read um, Zachary Quinto's uh, statement on this. I feel like a lot of people responded. I feel his is the most elegant response or eloquent response, and I want to just share it real quick. It is deeply sad and troubling that this is how Kevin Spacey has chosen to come out, not by standing up as a point of pride in uh, not by standing up in the point of pride in the light of all of his many awards and accomplishments, thus inspiring tens of thousands of struggling LGBTQ kids around the world, but as a calculated manipulation to deflect attention from the very serious accusation they attempted to molest one. I'm very sorry to hear of Anthony Rapp's experiences and subsequent suffering, and I'm sorry that Kevin only saw fit to acknowledge his truth when he thought it would serve him, just as his denial served him for so many, for so many years. May Anthony Rapp's voice be the one which is amplified here. Victims' voices are the ones that deserve to be heard. I I, I feel like that says better what we've been trying to say this entire time than we were. <laughs> okay. Also in the news, Thor Ragnarok director Taika Waititi uh, is interested in making a Black Widow comedy film. Ben, what do we know and do we want this? So in an interview with io9, uh, they asked... Uh, YTT, if he was interested in directing any other movies about other Marvel characters. And he said, uh, in all honesty, I reckon I could probably bring something pretty unique to any of the franchises. So I'd love to see Black Widow. And that uh, response sort of took people by surprise. He uh, elaborated a little bit further and he said, I would like to see Black Widow as something crazy and a bit funnier than we expect it to be because we know her story and is very sullen and very dark and her history is very dark. But what's the funny version of that? What's the more entertaining version of that? Uh, so that's his quote. Um, I think, you know, the answer, uh, the question is, do we want to see that? Uh, I think the answer is people want to see a Black Widow movie, period. And I think at this point, they're willing to take pretty much whatever <laughs> they could get. Um, but I does, mean, does that need to be a comedy film? It, I, I don't think I would want to see a Black Widow comedy film as much as I like Taika. So I don't I, I don't know if 
this quote means that he would do like a full on comedy. But I guess, you know, looking at Thor Ragnarok and the way that um, he sort of pivoted that character into from, you know, the super um, like grim uh, setting into one that's full of color and really leans into the comedy. I think, you know, he could, I don't know if he would do the exact same thing with a Black Widow movie, but I'm trying to think of like the alternatives and the alternatives would be a straight ahead Black Widow spy movie. And yes, there are probably some people that could do that well, maybe even like Lord of, Lord of Miller or somebody like that, you know, somebody who would not make it like a, um, just Jason Bourne redux kind of thing. Uh, so I don't know. I guess I'm op- I'm definitely more open to the interpretations of let's see somebody with a real vision come into this thing. And, you know, even if it's a, a genre that we don't exactly think uh, applies to this character, let's watch and see what happens instead of, oh, it's the Black Widow movie that we've all been wanting for years, but we can basically play out every beat, you know, every beat of this movie in our heads before it comes out because we know exactly what it's going to be. You know, I'd much rather see the thing that I'm not quite sure how it's going to play out. Jacob, do you have any thoughts on this? I think anything can be made funny. So um, I question if out-and-out comedy is the right fit for uh, Black Widow. At the same time, I think Taika Waititi is clearly just spitballing, having fun, and we shouldn't be taking this seriously at all. But it's fun to talk about. That's my opinion. <laughs> oh, yeah. There, I mean, there's a ton of interviews at every junket of, would you like to see a Ghostbusters Netflix show? Of course, Dan Aykroyd's going to say yes. He's not going to say no. You know, if, if someone approaches Taika Waititi and it's like, you know, would you like to do another Marvel film? And he's like, yes. And, and the person's like, what would you like to do? He has to come up with something off the top of his head. And uh, doesn't yeah. mean he's seriously thinking about doing that. I do want to recommend if you uh, if Marvel ever does make a Black Widow movie, there was a recently finished run, uh, Black Widow by Chris Samney and Mark Wade. Um, they, Mark Wade, the, the writer, Chris Samney, the artist, but Samney also co-wrote the series. It's only I think fifteen issues long, maybe even twelve, and it tells a complete story that can be easily adapted in the, in the two hours. Uh, very fun, very sincere but also very heartfelt spy story so if you want black widow uh if you want black widow movie but you want your fix right now i'd recommend checking that out it's really good and marvel you get you you have that in your stable it is a 60 million dollar movie you can make using recognizable marvel characters you should do that there's a lot of star wars in the news uh star wars will star wars last jedi reveal who ray's parents are this is something we've debated at length for what two years now but now we might have some more evidence that it might actually be revealed in Ryan Johnson's film. Ben, what do we know? Yes. Uh, Yahoo Japan published an interview with Daisy Ridley this morning. And, um, you know, being translated, we had some there were some translation issues with this quote sort of going around online. We ended up instead of running it through, you know, Google Translate or some sort of Internet translator, we reached out to somebody who actually reads Japanese to translate this for us. And this is apparently what the uh, the statement says. Uh, Daisy, who had said clarification on that theory would come in The Last Jedi, had this to say. Whatever the answer, I just hope that the moment everyone finds out is an enjoyable experience for viewers. She continued, and though I have known the answer for several years now, the series that Ryan Johnson created has turned out to be a spectacular, uh, has turned out to be spectacular beyond even my imagination. To be honest, I was very moved. I think it will be a moving moment for everyone else as well. So, 
previously, Ryan Johnson, who wrote and directed Star Wars The Last Jedi, has said that the question of Rey's parentage would absolutely be addressed in the new movie. But when pressed about whether or not her parents would specifically be revealed in the film, he did not answer that question. He wouldn't go that far. Um, so Ray, you know, Daisy Ridley's statement is sort of, um, you know, it waffles a little bit as, as the best, uh, uh, media trained actors, uh, statements tend to do. So we're not really sure. I mean, when it all, when, you know, uh, too long did not read, we're not sure uh, for this whole thing, but there's a lot to sort of parse through in her statement there. Um, whatever the answer, you know, like, does that mean uh, whether, you know, whether or not we find out who her parents are in the last Jedi, she hopes that this moment that she says is a, an enjoyable one, an enjoyable experience for everybody. But we don't know that this moment is actually going to be found within that movie. Um, I don't know, Peter. Do you have any thoughts on this? I don't know. It, it, it's 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 hard because this is translated from English into Japanese and then back to English. So we're on like what the third level of translation. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to get a. It's hard to see what is actually being said here, but it seems to me, at least from the translation, that she's saying something happens in Ryan Johnson's film to to either confirm or debunk the theory that Ray and Kylo are brother sister is that what she's saying what they're saying well there's a, a an earlier part of her statement that says as for the relationship between Luke and Leia a popular theory has come to be that the two were incestuous siblings and like i'm i think some <laughs> of that is probably lost in translation i don't yeah. think that there that there's a real theory that claims that Ray is the daughter of Luke and Leia, who are brother and sister, I feel like that's probably not exactly what this statement is saying. But she does, you know, say that she was moved. And I think it will be a moving moment for everyone else as well. But it's still sort of unclear if she was just moved at the experience of watching what Ryan Johnson put together or whether she, you know, she was moved at the actual reveal of who her parents are that takes place within the confines of the last Jedi. you know, again, it's, it's very sort of nebulous about what exactly this means. I suspect that as the, you know, we're, we're over a month away from the release of the movie at this point, a month and a half about, and I feel like more interviews are going to come out before, uh, the film debuts where maybe we can get a little bit better answer on this, or at least a better angle on this before the film comes out. So, uh, stay tuned is what I would say. Yeah, and I, I would say if I had to guess, and I don't know anything, if I had to guess, I I would guess that we will find out who is not her parent. There will be a <laughs> reveal of possibly Luke is not her parent. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I feel yeah. like she, she's going to confront someone about it, and we're going to find out. It's, it's going to eliminate one of our big options, but I, I don't know that's going to happen, but that's my my suspicion that we're yeah, not if find. I had to guess, I would say that we find out who one of her parents are, but not the other. And that seems, you know, if you watch Ryan Johnson's video response, um, which I linked to in the article where he talks about how the question will absolutely be addressed. He seems very, um, very close to revealing something. And you can almost, you know, slot that, that answer into, you know, reading his body language and stuff. It, it makes it seem like, uh, he knows that 
whatever he whatever decision he made is going to be a little divisive and is going to you know have people talking so i feel like something like that where he sort of halfway answers the question is um is a likely response here and next up in the news we have a bunch of tv shows turn movies and movies turn tv shows first up let's talk about quantum leap apparently a quantum leap movie has been written jacob what do we know well those of you who may remember this those of you who do not quantum leap was an nbc science fiction show that ran from 1989 to 1993 starring scott bakula as dr sam beckett who was displaced from time and each episode would jump to a new time period and find himself in a new body or he'd be forced to right the, a, a wrong of some kind. And his only guide was uh, Al, who was a hologram from his time in the future, played by Dean Stockwell. And it was essentially this really fun show where each episode was essentially its own anthology series. He wakes up in a new body, has to solve a mystery, prevent a crime, change somebody's life, and then once he does an act of good, he's teleported to a different time, a different body, and uh, cycle continues for, for five seasons. And Donald Belisario, who created and ran the show, uh, was at the L.A. Comic-Con this weekend with Scott Bakula for a reunion panel. And he revealed, um, I'm quoting him now, I just finished writing a Quantum Leap feature. I don't know what's going to happen with it, but I did write it. So <laughs> that could mean a number of things. It could mean he wrote it for fun. He wrote it um, trying to get sold. Who knows what happens? And when, when pressed for more details, all he'll say, he said was, I write things exactly the same way. I just start writing. And I let them take me wherever it's going to take me. Uh, I'm, I'm entertained the same way the audience is. So I just put Scott and Dean in my head, kind of rebooted them, and went from there. What he, do, what he doesn't say, but he says reboot, which, but the way he says it means one of two things. He's saying his screenplay is a total reboot of the whole concept, a movie that takes these characters and starts over again, or is it or the reboot we've seen with likes of like Blade Runner, where it's a reboot with a bunch of new characters that also ties in with a sequel. I mean, even Star Wars Force Awakens is in many ways, a reboot sequel and how it resets a table with brand new lead characters and brings people back in. But, but I'm going to spoil Quantum Leap now. I'm sorry, it's been 23 years. Uh, but at the end of the show, uh, Sam Beckett decides to stay on a second time. He decides to keep jumping throughout time forever rather, and, and, and not have the chance to go home. And the last thing you see in the show is a black scene with a white telecard saying, Sam Beckett never returned home, and he continued to jump for the rest of existence. And it was really controversial at the time. I really like it. But it means that, in theory, Sam Beckett, Scott Bakula, is still out there, still doing good across the universe and across time, which means a young star, a Ron Gosling type, uh, or a um, Garrett Hedlund type, one used to Tron Legacy comparison, could stumble into this universe, encounter the old star, and reboot the series in that way. But I'm also a huge fan of Quantum Leap. I would love to see a Quantum Leap movie. I grew up watching reruns of this show on the Sci-Fi Channel back in the day. And it's just the most fun show. It's so whimsical and so funny. And the concept allowed for it to be anything it wanted on a week-to-week basis. So I guess I have two questions for Ben and Peter. Did you guys watch Quantum Leap? And does this movie sound like a good idea in any capacity? I've never seen an episode. But I'm I'm wondering, because in a TV version, it sounds so um, you know primed for that sort of... Uh, anthology style or not anthology style but you know yeah like where every episode is a new thing and and they can tackle so many new things i wonder if um a movie would sort of lose some of the magic of it because if you have him i don't know leap into multiple bodies across the film i could easily see that being like a a very disjointed movie overall because i feel like they would have a lot of different 
styles to cover in one two you know presumably two hour period uh peter did you ever watch the show i did watch the show and the show was entertaining for its time it was very episodic uh i would think that if they're doing this it's going to start over with like you know sam uh with the whole beginning of it do you know what i mean and uh the interesting thing i think is you know the shows were very episodic with him kind of going into a body each show if i remember correctly i i feel like the movie would have to do more than that i feel like it has to be more than just an ep- like a you know a long form version of that episodic tv show so i think you would have to um somehow have a connected story over a bunch of different bodies and times i'm not sure how that would work my 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 fan pitch my fan fiction would be a scientist is sent through time to track down Sam Beckett and has a new machine that lets him jump from time to time under his own control, but maybe not, he maybe doesn't have the same choice as which body he goes into. So, so comedy can ensue. <laughs> and that way he's, uh, it's a search, like a, a manhunt through time would be my, would be my fan fiction. But I, I, otherwise, yeah, it's such a, a great TV concept, such a great comfort food. You know what you're going to get each episode concept that, um, I'm not so sure what a movie looks like, but at the same time, I'm all about Quantum Leap. I, I would happily watch more. And last up, a movie that could become a TV series. Apparently, a Blair Witch TV show is in the works, but do we need it, Ben? <laughs> yeah, so there's another question that may be uh, unanswerable at this point. But uh, on the Diminishing Returns podcast, the Blair Witch Project co-director Eduardo Sanchez said that there have actually been some rumblings about a possible Blair Witch TV show that may, you know, sort of revitalize the franchise in a in TV form. Uh, his quotes are, for us, it's a very natural thing to go and say, hey, let's do a freaking Blair Witch show. And you can say it's from the original creators and we can bring in a whole bunch of interesting directors to direct episodes and the podcast host said would you see that as an anthology thing with prequel episodes or would it all be found footage and he responded well you know i can't really discuss i think that the idea of a blair rich anthology has always been very just a really interesting thing you're close you're in the ballpark you know i think it might be one of those things that might be the more you think about it you're like that might be perfect a tv show you know so we'll see what happens but i think that's the next big thing for blair witch probably tv so he also clarifies that lionsgate owns the rights to the franchise and they would ultimately have to you know make that decision and sign off and all that stuff but uh the idea of a blair witch tv show is uh, you know with the original creators is is kind of interesting it's also worth noting that um danielle myrick who is the other co-director said uh, on social media he responded to this you know this news story sort of making the rounds and he was like wow this is news to me so um he apparently has not been contacted by lionsgate about this but uh so i'm not sure how far along this you know potential tv series actually is it seems like if Sanchez is saying, hey, put the original creator's names on it, then at least one of those, you know, <laughs> or you would think that both of those creators would would be at least aware of, you know, a script being written or something. So this could is probably just in the very, very early stages. But, um, that, you know, as somebody who has only seen parts of the original Blair Witch Project, I've never actually seen that movie all the way through. I know uh, I'm, I should be banished into a. <laughs> into uh, a place where only podcast hosts uh, have to watch everything before they speak about them with any th- sort of authority. But I'm sure you guys have seen the original Blair Witch Project. Do you think that it's the, you know, uh, the basis for a, a decent TV series? I think there's an interesting jumping off point here. I mean, the original one is very much uh, 
it's, it's, it's so many found footage movies take that style and don't understand what it is. Whereas the original movie is found footage to the point where it is often a little boring, often a little slow and often a little convoluted in a way that makes it feel like real documentary footage in a way that makes it have a reality to it that no other movie of its type has really captured. And watching it and thinking about this, I imagine like a Netflix style making a murderer style doc documentary series uh, about the Blair Witch or about um, about the legend of Blair Witch, maybe spirals into a horror story. I think there's definitely something here if they choose to embrace the format. I think mm -hmm. so often found footage horror is about um, just a cheap way to film a movie or, or an easy way to film a movie as opposed to um, the... Well, here's my snobby, snobby answer. Um, so much weird fiction, so much horror from the uh, 19th century through maybe the 1930s and beyond it's all found documents. There are diary entries, suicide notes, letters. So the idea of found footage as a thing is a is, is a horror format. It's been around for well over a century. And everybody from Edgar Allan Poe to H.P. Lovecraft to Ambrose Bierce has used it. Dracula is a series of diary entries. So I think this is as pure a form of horror as there is. But all those stories and all and the best found footage movies are ones that take advantage of the fact that there are documents, that they are being discovered that they are not providing easy answers or making it always as coherent as the viewer or reader would like. So I think there's something really cool about taking that concept and making it into a multi-chapter thing as opposed to a one-and-done movie or um, story. But that's just me showing my love for found footage. I, I really do think it's underrated, but I'm curious what you guys think about found footage in general I, or about a found footage TV show. Well, I like found footage, and I would like to see a found footage TV show but I don't think this is ever going to happen. I don't think there is a story in doing a found footage Blair Witch TV show. But what you mentioned is actually very interesting, Jacob, I think, because I think Netflix is the only platform that you could release almost like how Blair Witch was released. Almost like, you know, when it was released, people thought it was a real documentary. It was real footage that, you know, was found and put together. Um, it would be great to see Netflix do, release a documentary, quote unquote, that ends up being like a horror film, but you know, it's like over, you know, eight episodes or something. It's like, you know, making a murder or American Vandal. Um, I guess American Vandal is a mockumentary, right? Um, but it's like that where you're not sure if it's real or fake and you're going along for the ride. I yeah, think that could be cool. Yeah. Wait. Also, I really like 2015 Blair Witch or 2016, whatever year it came out. I'm a big fan of that movie. I think I'm the only one. <laughs> well, see, that, that that's also the problem is that movie made no money, so I I can't imagine a TV channel or network wanting to spend money on a Blair Witch TV series. But maybe yeah, I'm wrong. and you know the I think a big part of that was like the surprise factor and like the unknown factor of like is this real? Is this not? And and I think the movie you know, capitalized on that in a, in a big way by doing the, the whole like last minute reveal that, Oh crap, this is actually a, you know, a sneaky um, Blair witch movie. And, and I just don't know if that same surprise factor would work uh, in a, in a TV format. Although what you guys are talking about, that sort of uh, documentary style uh, approach does sound sort of intriguing. So um, yeah, I don't know. They would, they would have to find a, a a new way to package it and get people excited about it. Like so excited that maybe they forget that the, the previous movie didn't make that much money, <laughs> but that sounds like a tall order. 
the previous two movies didn't make that much money. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah. But that does it for today. We have gone long. You can find more of Ben's work at Ben Paris. You can find more of Jacob at Jacob S. Hall. You can find all three of us on SlashFilm.com. All the articles we talked about today on SlashFilm.com, you can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. You can send us email, feedback, peter at SlashFilm.com. And please go to iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review. We appreciate all the positive feedback and none of the negative feedback. Uh, Yes, we will see you tomorrow.